never wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio Property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow and it is time for your weekly grape encounter and you know there is something that we used to do about four or five years ago that i haven't done since i really don't even know why but we used to make trivia wine trivia a big part of this show because so many times, I mean, literally every day of my life, people ask me the craziest questions about wine, and they're questions that you're not going to learn the answers to in sommelier school. Because you know what? For those of us who just drink wine just to have fun with it, the things that we need to know are different than the things that somebody who is destined to be a wine expert or who already is a wine expert needs to know are completely different things. So I have had it in my mind that I have wanted to go down this road again because we used to have so much fun with it. And I was scratching my head thinking, who should I get into the studio to join me in this little expedition of wine trivia? And the one name that just popped up instantly is my friend Adam Lazar. Lazar Wines, he is really, I think, one of the great experts in winemaking. He consults all over the world. We'll talk a little bit about his resume. But first, Let's just welcome him to the stage. Adam Lazar is in the house. So that was your first mistake, inviting me onto the show. Why is that? Oh, I don't know. I just, this whole kind of Tourette syndrome thing, I just, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, what's he going to say? I don't know. I'm- we have a censor button. That's the thing, you know. I have had to censor you on occasion, by the way. <laughs> okay, what, are the, that, what are right? the odds of that? Wow. So let's talk about first what you're doing, because you're making some amazing wines for the wine hooligans. Uh, what a well-named company considering that you're involved. Yeah, I can't even think of anything more appropriate than the wine hooligans, obviously, anybody who knows me or has had to listen to me talk in the past. But yeah, you know, we're doing a bunch of really great wines. I've got a killer team that I'm working with. We're making a lot of the private label wines for some very large chains, making wines like Stateland Cellars and Ray's Creek. Wow. And uh, we're doing some fun stuff for Costco. But we also have a series of wines that are out in the broad market that are uh, international. And so we do Cycles Gladiator, which is my old so, brand. Okay, so let's talk about that because this is a very well-known name. And you originated it, right? That was a brand that I started with the team that I worked with when I used to run Hana Estates back in, I think it was in 2000- 
2005, we launched Cycles Gladiator, and it was a replacement wine, this little unknown wine called Rex Goliath that we started in 2002 and sold. But that's a really well-known name now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we sold it for an obscene amount of money two years later, and uh, we came across this really great 1890s bicycle poster from Paris, France at the time, Gladiator Bicycle Company, and we were a cause-based winery, and we did a lot of charitable work. So explain what that is. You know, we've had on the show way back when the Houlihans who started Barefoot Wine, that really is a cause-based winemaking operation that sold for just an obscene amount of money. Yeah, no, 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 I've I've heard figures, but I don't know for sure. And and Jennifer Wall, who's the winemaker there, is absolutely fantastic. She's one of my favorite winemakers, doing incredible work for uh, wines that are so reasonably priced. By the way, you know, people sometimes laugh at me when I say, you know what, Barefoot make some really good wine. And they go, how can you say that? And the answer is because they do. I mean, to make the volume of wine that they make with the kind of quality they put into it, if you go buy a bottle of their wine, you're going to be perfectly happy. You know, when people talk about Gallo as being the largest winery of their kind in the world, but they also dump a ton of money into research and their winemaking team. I have no idea how many they employ, but I know many of them, and they're some of my favorite winemakers. They're extremely talented, and they put a lot of everything into their products. And with all the research they've done, they've got this incredible research center up in Modesto. There's no reason why they shouldn't be making some of the most technically perfect wines in the world. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. You and I both judge a lot of international wine competitions and who wins the most gold medals or, you know, some of the best of shows, particularly in sparkling wines and some of these other things. It's the barefoot sellers. I mean, the judges that we're judging with are masters of wines or master sommeliers. They're masters of everything they do. So, I mean, it's not like they're not being vetted by a bunch of real professionals. See, that's the the interesting thing is, is that, yeah, we're sitting at a table where the people that are next to us are really, really amazingly talented wine experts, winemakers, they're sommeliers, they're restaurant chain owners, they're journalists, all kinds of things. But still, they don't realize that they may be tasting a $8 bottle of wine and going, wow, this is really delicious. And it winds up being a big brand. Yeah. So, I mean, the point being is that their companies that specifically do nothing but research on uh, winemaking and various varietals in different parts of the world. And it's not as simple anymore. I mean, it's great when you can just pick some grapes, crush it, pray that it ferments out, and then you jam it in the barrel. And there's some vineyards where that's great. But for 90% of the grapes that are out there, particularly in California, it requires a little input, requires special types of yeast, special types of techniques to get the best out of the grape, blending that's required. It's more than just some guy in a leader house and then stomping on the grapes and <laughs> yeah, right. whatever your vision of And you have it. these behemoth companies like Gallo or Kendall Jackson, let's say, mm-hmm. that are funding this incredible research that other small winemakers, if we just took your small brand, your personal brand, Lazar, they provide you with a lot of information that you would never be able to do on your own. Yeah, and to their credit, much of the research that these companies do is disseminated to the small winemakers. So, I mean, it benefits are, everybody. Are, are you saying they just put it out there? I mean, there's some stuff that's proprietary. If they, okay. There's something that, you know, benefits them economically, but the whole industry benefits when everybody is making better wines. I mean, there's no such thing as brand loyalty. We know that. You are loyal to the next great deal that's at the end of the row of wines that's at your Albertson store or at Trader Joe's or wherever you go to shop. Right. I mean, we recognize that what you're looking for is a great deal. And so, you know, with 6,000 Cabernets to choose from, you might not stick with just one. So everyone benefits from everybody making really great wines. And you make really great wines. By the way, I wanted to tell you something. You made a Merlot a few years back and you know the Merlot. Because you bought it all. (laughs) I bought it 
know, yeah. I didn't make a lot of it, but I, Thank you for I sold a ton of that wine. The other day, I realized my wife had been pilfering away three bottles of the Merlot. And I said, what are you doing? We need to sell that. And she said, no, I, I saved that for myself. I said, we've got all the wine in the world. We own a wine shop, right? So I sold a bottle for $60. I'm particularly flattered. The retail on that wine was like around 20 bucks, something. It was about 30 when we launched it. But I thought that selling it at 60 was making a huge sacrifice because I personally think the wine's got to be worth 100 bucks now. And it keeps getting better. It's a 2010 Paso Robles Merlot under the Lazar label. We got the fruit from one of the Grand Cru vineyards, Westside Vineyards in Paso Robles. And it's funny, we have none at our house. I can sell you. I got two bottles. I can sell you for 60 bucks I was actually, it's funny because right now we're in in travel season right before harvest starts. And uh, I was in Arizona two weeks ago and we've got a new Merlot, the 2014 Paso Robles Merlot. And for whatever reason, our distributor in Arizona, they have this little cage at their warehouse where they just store sample bottles. So when a salesman goes out and they're going to sell your wine, they're going to take it out with them. They grab it from here instead of in the big warehouse where they have to break cases down. It's a big production for something like that. And they ended up with a bunch of 2010 samples. I just said, we're not presenting its wine. However, since you're charging me back for these wines, I'm taking them with me back home. And so I actually have a couple bottles sitting in my kitchen. Thank God. So when I sold the bottle of wine, because this woman was really into amazing wines and she came in and purchased a case of some of our very best wines. And when I sold the bottle, I thought my wife was going to go ballistic, but she didn't. So after the lady left, I said, how come you didn't get upset because I sold one of your pilfered away bottles? You know, she said she's got more hiding in the house. It's her number one favorite wine. So when you're going around during Christmas and you're like looking under the bed and stuff for all the secret presents that you think that she may have purchased for you and you, you encounter like a bottle of wine under the floorboards Man. or one in the ceiling and perfectly the happy if a bottle of that was my Christmas present. And we are talking about a Merlot made by Adam Lazar. You know, Google Adam because he is one of the most amazing winemakers Makers. When you were younger, you were named one of the young winemakers to watch. And we've all watched you grow into now a legend. And I know you won't admit that, but that is a fact. And you've been associated with so many great companies, so many great wines. And now we're going to take a commercial break, Adam Lazar. And you better, you know, shine up your thinking cap a little bit because <laughs> I'm going to just throw some questions at you and we're just going to have fun with trivia for a while. Okay. Okay. Are you yeah. ready? Yeah, you betcha. Actually, we're going to take a little break for a commercial. We'll be back with my good buddy, Adam Lazar, one of the great winemakers in America and the world. And I truly mean that. He really is one of the most respected winemakers that you will ever meet. And we'll be back and doing just a little fun wine trivia for the better part of the show Boy. here on Grape and Counters Radio. Remember, as much as you may love wine, it is not the answer to your problems. Unless the problem is you're out of wine. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. You don't have a problem with that, do you? Hi, it's David Wilson. And if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. 
and you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in vino, spin.us. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts in lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, the state organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get your ship right away at mmorganics.com. Did you know that you can visit us in person right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California? We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours, and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a, a stretch. Here's David. Hey, back with Grape Encounters Radio, and in my studio, we have in today Adam Lazar, one of my absolute favorite winemakers, not because he makes some of the best juice you will ever pour into a glass and down your throat, but also because he's funny and he's smart. And we're now going to jump in to the trivia portion of the show. Are you ready, Adam? I'm ready. I'm not going to ask hard questions, because you know what? The idea here is to give out information that is going to make people look really smart when they're at a dinner party, right? They're going to go, did you know? They're going to just impress people with unpretentious stuff. It's not going to be about what kind of soil it is. You know, and that's the key because there's nothing that bores me more when I go to a party and you've got some boob tasting a wine and telling you exact percentage of malolactic fermentation and it must have been grown in this soil. Those people are like the greatest enemies of our own industry is when they make it so pretentious that people who just like to drink wine can't enjoy it. And it it. doesn't matter if there's anything that I wanted to accomplish with this show when we first started it about almost going on nine years ago, it was to give people permission to just steer clear of all that nonsense and stick to the stuff that really makes a difference, okay? By the way, I did pull a few cards from one of my favorite trivia games. It's Mm -hmm. called Red Wine Smarts, okay? So let's have a little fun, shall we, okay? Sure. This is a question that I get asked all the time, and I know you do too. So this is a (laughs) true or false question, right? (laughs) The Shiraz grape from Australia is the same as the Syrah grape from France, True or false? True. So let's talk about that for a second, because people will go, you know, I like Syrah, but I don't like that Shiraz stuff they make. Yeah, I mean, it's just how the name developed in the Southern Hemisphere, particularly in the Pacific. I mean, it is genetically the same grape, but it's obviously because being grown on a spit of land in the South Pacific near Antarctica is a little different from a spit of land near the Arctic Circle in Europe. It's going to taste a little different, but I always thought it'd be really fun to put together a wine and you read the label and it says 60% Syrah and 40 
90% sure of and see if anyone gets it. So here's the question. Are they genetically identical? Yeah, it's okay. the same group. So let's talk for a second about what happens when a wine develops over time, evolves on one continent versus another. Do they become different then? Yeah, and actually, okay, I'm going to qualify my statement by saying and then over time there are some slight genetic differences and things that happen. There's change. You think of the grape Albariño, which comes from northwestern Spain and Galicia region, which I believe science has proven that originated, you know, in the Rhine River area of Germany 900 years ago. I mean, Albariño means white of the Rhine. But over the years, you know, it's cross-pollinated, cross-bred with other varietals and eventually it's changed. But there are some genetic similarities, genetic differences. And I would think that over time, you know, Australian grape industry isn't any older than the uh, U.S. grape, you know, industry. And so over time, you know, pollen gets brought in from different vineyards and different varieties. And so there are some slight so changes. So they do evolve. They're clonal selections. Talk about the difference between Zinfandel mm-hmm. and Primitivo, because we have Primitivo in Italy and Zinfandel here in California. Yeah, they're very, very similar. I know it tends to ripen a little earlier than if they're grown side by side with standards and fellow clones in the United States. They tend to ripen a little earlier and the berries tend to be a little bit bigger, but the vast majority of the grape itself is genetically identical. And then in Croatia, mm-hmm. it's Plavis Mali, right? Is yeah. that how we pronounce it? You know what? I've heard uh, it maybe three times in my life. You could call it anything and I would believe you right but now. We, but yeah. we know that that particular grape now appears to have been where the Zinfandel started and then made its way to Italy, became Primitivo, and then made its way to California and became Zinfandel. It is. Is it about right? hypothesized that that was the trajectory of the Zinfandel grape. And there's yes. been some serious testing on that. All right, let's go to a different question here. The British term for red wines from Bordeaux is what? Claret. Yeah, cool. You know, you see people will ask this question. They'll go, you know, I really, really like I'd like a claret. claret please. I'd like know. a claret. Yet claret is just a British term for the Bordeaux. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Sometimes we overcomplicate things and the explanation or the description that we give to something in one country versus another does make things very complicated. Okay. All right. Here's an interesting question. Ready? Which old world country produces more wine by volume than any other nation in the world? Do you know this one? <sighs> it changed only two years ago. Ooh, then you do know the answer. Yeah, Adam I Lazar. Which one? I mean, it was, I think, France originally. I think it's Italy now. It is Italy. Isn't that amazing? When you think about a country the size of Italy, and then when you actually go there and you see that, with the exception of buildings, every other spot of land is covered in grapevines, then it kind of makes sense. But very interesting if you come here to the States, and I do want to take a moment to talk about California, where mm-hmm. you make the lion's share of wine right. that you produce. California produces, do you know what percentage of wine that is consumed domestically here in the States? You know, it, it could be completely way it's shot in I'm the gonna, dark. I, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to say something on the order of like 92%. You would be like almost spot on. It's, it's around 90%. Okay. You know, the listeners that I have outside of California will say, mm-hmm. why do you talk about California so much? Well, the answer is pretty simple because this state produces an enormous amount of wine. Yeah. And in the entire worldwide scheme of things, we're still one of the largest producers in the world by far. You know, our uh, climate is so temperate and the soils are so good. When you think about it, you could grow grapevines in virtually every part of California. Now, some of my favorite wines in the United States obviously come from Oregon. They come from Washington. They also come from New York. 
some great stuff coming from Virginia, North Carolina, Missouri, Texas. There's some really neat stuff being grown, Arizona, but not a lot of the soil out there and the climate is good for grape growing. Do you think that we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of what America can produce? Because there are states, for instance, like Idaho, out of Arizona, Mm -hmm. out of New Mexico, where there's barely any grapes planted at this point in time Mm -hmm. that I think just make amazingly delicious wines. Oh, the Snake River area? Incredible wines. Ultimately, you know, I believe there are wineries, I don't know, maybe 48, maybe 50 states now. It's actually, it's all 50. It's all 50. Yeah. The question is, do we grow grapes in all 50? I'm not sure if there's any growing in Alaska, but, you know, given global warming, I I might be buying some Pinot Noir property People people laugh about that and they joke about global warming, but in the wine industry, it's an absolute fact. We are seeing some changes. I just was working in the Manchester area of New Hampshire last week, and part of me was surprised to discover that they're actually growing Riesling now, and the grapes are actually surviving on the coastal area just north of Massachusetts, and 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. So, And there's know. a whole coalition of universities starting about the northernmost portion of America, the center of America, right. extending all the way to the east coast, where they're developing varietals that will yeah. handle a little colder weather, and it's just a matter of time before those eastern states will be growing a lot of grapes and making a lot of wine. That's you know, with some of the competitions I judge, I'm often put on the panel with the East Coast and Midwest wines, and I'm often dropped a varietal in front of me or a couple of wines in front of myself and my panel. And it's a variety we've never even heard of before. So, you know, first, we, I mean, we'll taste it, obviously. Is it a sound wine? Uh, does it taste good? So that's very, very subjective. But someone will dig into Wikipedia or maybe Cornell's database where the grape was developed and find out what the parents of this grape were. This is a cross between Gewürztraminer and some weird AX155GB something developed at the University of Minnesota. And so at least we have something to work off of as judging. All right, a good place to uh, end this segment because the next question that you're going to get when we come back is I'm going to ask you the parents of one of the most popular grape varietals in the world. That next when we return with my special guest, Adam Lazar. I really love the wines, love the man, and we will be back with Adam in just a second on Grape Encounters. For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero, located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Hi, it's David Wilson. And if you're a frequent listener, you know that I constantly tell you the importance of aerating most wines. If you don't, you're simply not tasting your wine in all of its glory. Well, there's a remarkable new wine aeration product out that's beautiful, mesmerizing, and destined to revolutionize conventional decanting. 
It's the V-Spin, a gorgeous decanter that sits on a simple stand. But inside that stand is some very innovative magnetic technology, which enables the wine in the decanter to swirl silently, creating a vortex that exposes the wine to the perfect amount of air in just a few minutes, accomplishing what otherwise could take hours. And you can adjust the speed and time to perfectly suit the wine varietal. I've put the V-Spin through rigorous testing, and the results were consistently stunning. And you can now buy it on Amazon. Learn more at vspin.us. That's V as in vino, spin.us. Today's edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by the absolutely remarkable V-Spin aerating decanter. Easily one of the most captivating, innovative, and effective wine accessories of all time. This is a must-have product for any true wine enthusiast and winner of the 2018 German Design Award. It's a mind-blowing wine aeration device that creates a silent vortex inside a gorgeous crystal decanter that achieves incomparable and fully adjustable aeration in just a few minutes. Amazing to watch and amazing in the way it perfects the taste of any wine. Please take a moment to see the V-Spin in action at either v-spin.us or click the link at the top of the page at grapeencounters.com. Conservative about what he spends on wine, but liberal on how much he pours his friends. Here's your host, David Wilson. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, time for the lightning round with my very special guest, Adam Lazar. And it's Lazar Wines and the lead winemakers for the Wine Hooligan. So there we go. Are you ready for the lightning round, Mr. Uh, Lazar? As I'll ever be. Okay, so we're going to just fire a lot of questions off really quick, okay? All right, uh, true or false question? Both red wine and white wine can be made from the same grapes. True. With the exception of Alicante Boucher and a couple other what we call Tinturier varietals, juice is white. It's the skin that makes the wine red or not. And they use those grapes that do have the dark juice mm-hmm. to bring more color and body to wines that are a little on the, shall we say, sissy side. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy regarding those grapes, but that's okay. a different topic. We see a lot of wines now from New Zealand, right? That we do. And five years ago, that wasn't the case. But now they're just like flooding the market okay. with New Zealand wines. True or false? The majority of wines from New Zealand have screw caps. True. That is true. 85%. They are the industry leaders. And you know what? I tell you what, if you're out and about and got a very small selection of wines to choose from, and there are wines from New Zealand, I would say they might be some of the safest wines to purchase sight unseen. They're really well made. And, you know, they're all cool climate varietals. They've got great acid and super pHs for being able to age. And, you know, the idea behind screw caps are these are bottles of wine that you may not need to lay down. However, I think just the convenience of being able to open them up and seal them up at the end of the day. Okay. So there's a really interesting question that you raised, which I've been asked a number of times, and I really don't know the answer to this one, is can you lay down for an extended period of time wines that are under a Stelvin enclosure or screw cap? Absolutely. And in fact, what research, and we've got, I think the Australians have done the vast majority of the research that goes back nearly 20 years now, and it's showing that screw caps may actually allow wine to age better over time. Wow. Yep. 
All right, that indentation at the bottom of a wine bottle is called what? Punt. Okay, that's the easy part of the question. Hard part, why is it there? I think it's to be able to hold the wine bottle when you're pouring it at a restaurant. There's no one explanation for that indentation. The best explanation I ever heard was that in the olden days, okay. when they were hand-blowing glass bottle, the bottom was where the pipe was at, okay? Oh, of course, yeah. And yes. when they snapped the pipe off to finish the bottle, it left, it left a little bit of a rough spot there. Then when you would slide the bottle across the table, it would leave a big scratch. So what the glass blowers figured out was that if they pushed it up and then broke the pipe off, that you wouldn't have that problem. I didn't get that in some way school. You never heard that. See, you learned something on Grape Encounters. Okay, we're running out of time. Okay. True or false, red wine should never be served chilled. Bull crap. Okay, talk about it. Yeah, I'd never frequent a restaurant that served their red wines at room temperature. All the best restaurants in the world, especially the ones that know their way around wine, serve their red wines chilled. I like them around 55 degrees, but it is scientifically proven that the fruit, the tannins, and all the great parts of a red wine pop. They're more pronounced when a red wine is chilled a little bit. And as the wine warms in your glass, all these beautiful aromatics that make that wine great start to come out. Spoken like a master. Okay, here's an interesting one. Wine packaged in a box Mm -hmm. stays fresh for weeks after opening. Absolutely, because the bag inside collapses, so there's no oxygen getting in there. So here's a really interesting thing is that a lot of people will ask me, how long will their red wine especially last Mm -hmm. after the bottle's been opened. This is assuming there's no preservation taking place, right? Answer? I actually think in freshly bottled wines, and what I mean freshly bottled, I mean when the previous three or four or five months that a wine will actually taste better on the second day because it has the same amount of oxygen that it might have picked up over a couple of years. But I think after day two or three, it starts to get a little tired. For me, it's my personal preference. Uh, Yeah, mine too. And I do believe, and I don't know if you agree with this, that you can stall the deterioration by putting it into the fridge. Chilling it down, it helps limit oxygen pickup in the wine, but also, there are companies that sell gas products. Yeah, but you can go to Total Wines and More, BevMo, and you pick up something called Private Preserve, and it's just argon gas, a squirt or two in there, but even then, you're going to get a week out of it. Don't try to save the red wine. Okay, so if that wine does turn on me, mm-hmm. true or false, I can always just use it to cook with after it's turned. <laughs> true or false? Sure, true. No, come oh, on. Why not? No, garbage in, garbage out. All right. You, well. you know, if the wine is turned, there's only one thing you can really use it for. If it's white wine, you can use it to take the stain out of your driveway, out of your concrete, stuff like that. All right. Okay, well. by the way, along those same lines, true or false, when a wine turns, it becomes vinegar and you can use it on your salad. No, a wine that's been open, that's been oxidized, just becomes aldehydic, it becomes closer to sherry. A wine that has gone through a bacterial fermentation, secondary fermentation, acetic acid bacteria is turning into vinegar, and that should normally not be in your bottle of wine to begin with. Right. Okay. We all are familiar with Syrah. Mm Mm-hmm. And most are familiar with Petite Syrah. Right. True or false, Petite Syrah just refers to a Syrah that has smaller grapes, smaller berries. No, that's false. Petite Syrah is its own unique grape varietal that is a cross between the Syrah grape and a little-known French grape called Pellersin. And it was developed back in, I think it was the 1850s, 1860s, by a horticulturalist by the name of Derif. And in fact, Derif is an alternative or a synonym for the grape Petite Syrah. Interesting. Petite Syrah, Petite Verdot, when it comes to the substantiveness of those, they are anything but petite. They're huge wines. Okay, last question. Are you ready for this one? One of the most popular wines in the world, red wines, I'll just ask you, would be what? Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay, after that? Pinot Noir. Okay, Pinot Noir. We know that Cabernet Sauvignon is the love child of Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. And possibly Carmenere. There's some... Oh, there's a little messing around there. What was Pinot Noir the love child of? 
I'm going to say Pinot Blanc. And, um, and you'd be wrong. Okay. So Pinot Noir is the love child of Chardonnay and a little known grape that I can't pronounce from Croatia that was basically a peasant grape. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that one. I don't remember the name of it. It's so, an ancient grape. I know it's been around for a long yeah, time. Yeah, and what's, like inter- what's interesting about it is, is that why that's important is that when you go out and you find somebody that's making really good Pinot, you're probably going to find that they also make really good Chardonnay. And people often wonder about why that is. And the reason is simple. They're, you know, father and son, mother, daughter. Are you with me here? Yeah, no, I'm actually looking up. I want to find out what that... Uh... Okay, Adam's got his... He's Googling here in the studio. You were supposed to turn your phone off, Adam Lazar. I turned it to silence. So what did you find out? I actually, with the last question, stumped you. Yeah, and as I've been looking through this, and it seems to me, and this is just from Wikipedia, that the origins... It, we know that it's an ancient varietal because it's a parent of a lot of other grapes. Yes. Like Cabernet Franc. The question is, it's been argued genetically that it's actually a uh, variant of a non-vinifera vine called Vitus Silvestris, and going back all the way to the first century. That's amazing, huh? So yes, there's a bunch of stuff. But would you agree that where there is good Pinot, there is usually good Chardonnay? Absolutely. Oh, the two absolutely grow hand in hand, and they're very, very similar. And you think that Pinot Noir and Chardonnay have grown up together for the last clearly close to 1,500, 1,600 years you know, in the Burgundy region of France. It's funny that, you know, I would say 99% of all people, wine lovers, non-wine lovers, wine experts, don't realize that Pinot and Chardonnay are related. That's a little factoid that is just lost on most people. You know, I mean, the leaves are very similar, you know, in shape. Mm -hmm. You know what, Adam? We left people with an abundance of knowledge. There's going to be a lot of... There's going to be a (laughs) lot... You've created more questions and... You know, don't say that. That's not the case. David Wilson will have your answer for you, and if he doesn't know it, he will look it up. You know, I'm just here to make sure you have a good time, and that's why I brought in Good Time Charlie today. Hey, Adam, thanks for being here. What a fun time we had. We didn't tell people that we were actually, while we were doing the show, drinking drinking spirits, actually, wine-based spirits. In this particular case, an orange wine spirit that... With natural flavor added, whatever that's All right, but it kind of emulates rum, and it was kind of fun, wasn't it? Oh, it's um, delicious. We mixed it with these wonderful mixers by our friends over at Yes Cocktails. They make these fantastic mixers, and I just want to give them a little shout-out because they're doing a great job. A little small company, you can buy their products online. Yes Cocktails. I've I've heard about them. I've heard great things, and for the first time ever, I can confirm this stuff is delicious. Really good, Yeah. Okay, Adam Lazar, people can find you where? Your wines? And they can find wines at your shop. Grape and Well, yeah, but most of our listeners aren't anywhere near the shop. Oh, okay. Well, you can go to Lazar Wines. That's L-A-Z and Zebra, A-R-R-E Wines plural.com. And you can check out Angie, who's actually runs the company, my wife. I'm actually her husband. She's not my wife. Right. Got it. Yeah. I got to make that clear. So Angie Lazar, I am just her winemaker. And you can go to our website and check out the wines and order them. We've got great high scores and uh, we make very limited quantity. We'd love to uh, talk to you. And if they were to buy just one Lazar wine, what would you recommend? The one we have the most of. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Hey, that's going to do it for my visit with Adam. Guess who's coming in the studio next? Guess. Yes. All I can do is say, imagine me with rabbit ears. Who's coming in? He's a butt of yours. Is it a chef? Yeah. Chef William? Chef William. Chef William Carter of, oh my God, Canyon Villa Bed and Breakfast. But uh, 28 years, the head chef at the, the Playboy, Playboy Mansion. Mansion. And he joins us next. Uh, we're those gonna, are some fun tastings with him. Those are some fun ago. tastings. We're going to go uh, rendezvous with him out in the green room while you are listening to these commercials. And we'll be back with more Grape Encounters and Chef Carter right after this. 
I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite treats in the world. I take a piece of triple cream brie cheese, put a few very special 100% organic heirloom walnuts on top, and then drizzle a little honey on it to make this a purely irresistible morsel of deliciousness. Then, I pour myself a small serving of decadent port-style wine to create the perfect complement. That's just one example of how I pamper myself with products from MM Organics in Paso Robles, California. Now, you're on your own with the honey and brie, but the walnuts and port-style dessert wine can be ordered online at mmorganics.com. They've also got lots of other delicious walnut products available, including their peerless sprouted walnuts and lots of decadent flavors, organic gluten-free walnut flour, raw organic walnut butter, estate organic walnut oil, and fair trade dark chocolate covered walnuts. MM Organics products are among the best in the world. Get your ship right away at mmorganics.com. For nearly four years, I've taken many opportunities to tell you about the place that Grape Encounters Radio calls home, Atascadero. Located right in the heart of the spectacular California Central Coast wine country, which offers a lot more to see and do than simply enjoying the world-class wines we produce here. Atascadero is a town where people are remarkably friendly, food and accommodation prices are far lower than in other wine countries, and every activity imaginable can be found just minutes away in any direction, including world-class wineries, ocean sports, and breathtaking beaches, cycling, equestrian activities, sightseeing, hiking, hot springs, farm-to-table cuisine, cider houses, concert venues, shopping, and so much more. I've had countless visits from around the country by listeners at the Grape Encounters Emporium Wine Bar in Atascadero's historic colony district. I hope you'll be next. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. with Grape Encounters Radio, and I promised you that I would have a very interesting, amazing guest coming on to close the show, and I'll tell you why he's in the studio with me today. For one thing, he's a really, really good friend of mine, but more than that, I was doing some research the past few days. After I did a little piece, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about some of the places that I've been staying in some of the wine countries that I've been visiting, and I noticed that there are a number of travel awards that have been given out lately. I personally, I love to stay at smaller places, small intimate places that have some kind of shtick that is different than what other people are doing. Well, I came across a place that has won Sunset Magazine's Best of the Best 2016 Bed and Breakfast, you know, and they're really looking at wine country there. TripAdvisor's Traveler's Choice Award for 2017. USA Today's 10 Best Wine Country Hotels, and they came in third on this one since opening, and then 
And remember, TripAdvisor ranks this particular place as the number one bed and breakfast on the Central Coast since September of 2015 and number five in North America and number 14 worldwide. I'm reading these credentials and I'm thinking there can't be anybody that could do that good a job. And no kidding, it winds up being my friend William Bloxham Carter. Oh, thank you, David. The former head chef at the Playboy Mansion. Even better. He's got his own, well, it's not, you can't call it the Playboy Mansion, but he's playing over there. And boy, oh boy, is he doing an amazing job. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. It's quite an honor. It's humbling. It's gratifying. And it's just passion for hospitality. Catherine, my wife, my partner and business partner, are just passionate about creating a special brand of hospitality with just the salient points you're talking about, David. Intimacy, small, a couple of rooms, great food, great wine, and great views. Well, you're a wine guy, and you and I have judged multiple times together at the same wine competitions. You've been doing that for a really long time, but the head chef thing at the Playboy Mansion, 28 years, I can't imagine that you can be a slacker and have that job. That's got to be one of the most demanding jobs. It's extremely demanding, but right now I would say that this gig, owning your own business, is even more demanding. You have to learn to pivot at any given moment, any given time, any given day. I'm pivoting all the time. I love it. I have no regrets, and I'm just passionate about pleasing other guests. Well, you are absolutely one of the best chefs whose food I have tasted and absolutely loved and adored. It's funny to me that you left the Playboy Mansion and then the place sold a year or two later. Yeah, It I, had to be because of you leaving. That's all I can speculate. <laughs> I'm sure that was the case. Well, I saw the tea leaves on the table and realized that my future was somewhere else. And like you, the Central Coast has just been so nice and welcoming to me and my wife. We just really enjoy the area. The vibe of the people is just phenomenal. Everybody just from our dear friends like you and Annie to great people that work for us. And when we go out to dinner at night and our neighbors in our private little canyon, just so nice. And that's something we could never, ever move back to Southern California again. Just imagine this, though, if you're a listener right now tuning in, the idea that you could go to this just absolutely breathtaking villa and then have the former Playboy chef at your bag and call. And you basically are. I mean, you take care of them all day if they need it, right? We take care of them all day. And some of the things we do that go above and beyond, we love this area, but it does get hot occasionally in the summertime. So we have chilled washcloths waiting in our great hallway upon our guests' return so they can just, you know, tap their face a little bit. We send them out with coolers and ice packs so their wine that they purchase at some of these wineries doesn't get cooked in the car. So these are the little things we do all the time for our guests. We're now offering world-class amenities in our guest rooms as well. Wow. You know, the one thing that it just baffles me is that coming from the mansion where there were always playmates, bunnies running around the lawn, you go to your place and there's bunnies running all over the lawn. <laughs> and I'm not making that up, am I? No. I there's, 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 well, like, there's also gophers and squirrels yeah, But there's well. little bunnies everywhere and I'm thinking, wow, that's a nice touch. If only he could paint them pink, it would be just great. Our 
backgrounds are breathtaking. We're on a promontory on 11 and a half acres with vineyards and olive orchards all around us. And one of the things that just keeps getting better and better is the wine in this region. It is world-class wine. And the wines of the North County and South County, not to take anything away from them, yeah. is really just made great strides on the worldwide stage. No doubt. And I mean, that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. And dollar for dollar, I might add too, probably the best values in the world. I mean, yes. you just can't find this caliber of wine at the prices that it's still setting at. I fear those prices are not going to last for too much longer. You know, get it while the getting's good. Get it while the getting's good. 2015, which is coming online with a lot of the red wines right now, was a lean year with the drought. 2016 shaped up better and 2017 is going to be just as good. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I have heard performers say many times, and I'm talking about big performers, that as much as they love being in front of a crowd of 20,000 people, that there's something very special about sitting down with just a small living room full of people and playing, and they don't feel the need to have that much adulation. Do you feel the same way as a chef that you cook for thousands of people, and then now you're just cooking for a few couples? David, you seem to know me better and better as we grow old together here. (laughs) Honestly, you just nailed it, because I used to cook for thousands and thousands of people in one week's time, in 8,000 people, and it got long in the tooth. And now when I'm doing intimate dinners for two, four, 10 people, or breakfast for eight guests, the connection, the energy is so much better. And really, I feel worthy of what I'm doing now. So one of the things that you and I are doing together, I'm really excited that people are now hearing me talk about an event that we were involved with last year, Wine Song on the Mendocino Coast. It's just the most breathtaking, amazing charity event. It's like nothing you've ever seen. They raise a million dollars nearly for the local hospital. And you were kind enough to donate two nights at the Canyon Villa. I'm throwing in a full day of VIP wine tasting. It is going to be the event of a lifetime. So I'll tell you more about how you might be able to bid on that. And it is going to charity. All right. That is going to do it for our visit with William Carter. Thanks so much for coming in, buddy. You're such a good friend and just an amazing guy when it comes to food and wine. It just doesn't get any better. It's a pleasure to be in the studios with you. And if anybody is interested in the Wine Song Auction and they want to go bid, I think they're having something live going on with it. But please go to our website, thecanyonvilla.com, and you can see exactly what you're bidding on. Okay. Hey, listen, we're going to have to say goodbye to you, William. And unfortunately, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. We'll be back in just seven days. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. <laughs>